0: Lottie Moon, born Charlotte Diggs Moon, a famous Baptist missionary to China, became a believer in December 1858 while in college. In 1861, she was one of the first women in the South to earn her master's degree. Before her life as a missionary, she taught school in Kentucky, Georgia, and Virginia. Lottie arrived in China in October of 1873 to be a missionary to the people of China. Lottie would spend the next 40 years bringing social reform, educating girls, and first and foremost, displaying devotion to Christ. Lottie died still serving in China in 1912. One facet of of Lottie's life that is most astounding to me is her singleness. She did not set out to be single, and she even said she had been in love before, but that the potential conflicts of marriage and serving on the mission field in China were just too much. She believed that her call to serve took precedence over any romantic interest. Although singleness had not been her plan, Lottie began to see such advantages to her single life. At that time, China was a very rural area with many small villages. Lottie, unlike the married female missionaries, could leave for days at a a time to travel from village to village, heralding the gospel without worrying about caring for a family. Lottie even wrote that single women were more fit for evangelism because women with families have needs within their home that are their first priority. One secretary for the mission board even wrote later in regards to Lottie, I estimate a single woman in China is worth two married men. There is no doubt that it was difficult for this single woman to follow what she felt like was God's calling for her to do and go all the way across the globe to serve in China. Lottie's singleness caused her to rely on the Holy Spirit more when she felt like there was a strong sense of loneliness in her. In China, all alone, traveling through villages by herself, she began to understand Christ was her truest safe haven. She wrote at many times and in many different ways how being single on the field was the greatest gift because it helped her understand her dependence on Christ and rely on him more than any other. The following description of Lottie Moon has been on a monument in China since 1915. After she graduated from school, she never married. She dedicated her whole spirit, body, and life to the service of God. Lottie's life gives us a picture of the truth Paul speaks about in 1 Corinthians 7, 25-40. A life of undivided attention, undivided emotions, undivided devotion. Paul's point in this passage is not that singleness is better Upon first read, this might seem like the case. Rather, he's continuing to explain what he has from the very first section that we covered three weeks ago until now. That both marriage and singleness are gifts from him. Some are given a life of marriage and others are given a life of singleness. One is not superior over the other. As we explore this passage this morning, we will see the benefits And we will also see the potential for failure. Like Lottie, we cannot have lives characterized by division. We have the same call whether we are married or single. I want to look at this call. I want to look at it by giving three commands for remaining undivided. Three commands for remaining undivided. The first command comes in verses 25 through 31. Remember... In chapter 7, Paul is responding to questions that the Corinthians have written him about. These are, there are misunderstandings, and he wants to make sure that all of these believers are thinking correctly about these topics. So pa- Paul's now concerning, at the beginning of verse 25, to start out this section, displays that he's responding to a question about singleness from this church. Verse 25 says, Now concerning the betrothed, I have no command from the Lord, but I give my judgment as one who by the Lord's mercy is trustworthy. Paul says now concerning the betrothed or the single person or the engaged person, the virgin. Then Paul says he has no command from the Lord, but he offers this judgment. This does not take away in any way from what Paul is about to teach. This does not mean less inspiration is in the following words. All scripture is is God-breathed. It is his grace and his mercy to us. We must understand at the outset that Paul's answer to the Corinthian believers is judgment based on the mercy from God, which is more reliable than anything Paul could have produced on his own. The first command for remaining undivided, the first command for remaining undivided is to be prepared. Be prepared prepared verse 26 says I think that in view of the present distress it is good for a person to remain as he is what present distress is Paul referring to is it the lawsuits within the church is it general persecution that Paul experienced many times throughout his ministry is it the evil of the day well I think all of these are applicable. I think Paul tells us later in verse 29 when he says the appointed time has grown very short. This whole section must have this as the heading. Verses 25 through 40 must have this when going to it to understand what Paul is saying. Paul is saying the coming of Christ is quickly approaching. It will not be long. The time is short. He sees trials and hardship, and he wants the Corinthians to understand in light of eternity that one's attention should not be divided. Be prepared for the second coming of Christ. Be prepared for eternity. Do not be distracted. Verses 27 and 28 Are you bound to a wife? Do not seek to be free. Are you free from a wife? Do not seek a wife. But if you do marry, you have not sinned. And if a betrothed woman marries, she has not sinned. Yet those who marry will have worldly troubles, and I would spare you that. When you read these verses in the context of what Paul is teaching, he is clear to believers to live in light of eternity. Married, single, live in light of eternity. Why is it good for a person to remain as he is? This question that Paul asked, are you bound to a wife? Do not seek to be free. Are you free from wife? Do not seek a wife. Why is it good for a person to remain as he is? Well, in light of the days being short, in light of the trials of the day, and Christ coming back soon, don't get caught up in the here and now. Do not store up for yourselves treasures, loves, even marriages that are for the wrong purpose. Do not store up for yourselves these things that will mean very little in light of eternity. Because our primary concern now, right now as you sit in the pew, right now and throughout eternity, is, should be proclaiming the infinite worth of our God. In order to be prepared, it's best for you not to add distraction or unfamiliarity to your life, Paul says. If you are being faithful, if you are satisfied, why add something? That's his question. Remain faithful, remain true, remain consistent. If you have a wife, be prepared. By committing to her, loving her, unifying with her. If you have a husband, love him, care for him, be bound together with him. Love Christ together. There's no freedom from this. You've been unified together, so be prepared by worshiping together. In your marriage, there is freedom to love and to devote together. Do not seek anything outside or away from your marriage. No, represent the gospel in your marriage. Are you single? Don't make it your first priority to find a wife or a husband. You may say, easy for me to say standing up here, but I'm not saying it. I'm looking at what is written in verse 27. Don't be consumed with this pursuit in light of eternity. Be consumed with pursuing Christ Be consumed with living the gospel. Focus on Christ. Set your eyes on Christ and your pursuits will fall into place. Use your singleness or your marriage to worship. Why? Because the time is short. Be prepared. Paul says this is and it never was a sin issue. Paul's proclamation, all of his proclamations are all about worship and being undivided. Do not divide your time between this life and eternity because they are drastically different from one another. Yes, yes, marriage is such a gift from God and such a picture of the gospel, but use it and model it as just that, the gospel. Marriage should always be viewed as a gift from God. But use it and model it correctly. Paul is not contradicting Genesis 2 or Ephesians 5 with these statements that he makes. Singleness is also such a gift from God. Paul is dictating his wisdom and discernment on the goodness of marriage and singleness in these last days. Think about the gifts. Think about the gifts that each marriage and singleness provide. Think about the benefits of each. Marriage, yes, it it brings about the potential of distraction. Paul says in verse 28 that those who marry will have worldly troubles. There is potential for looking away from worshiping God. Marriage inevitably, inevitably brings struggle and hardship at times and trials that you wouldn't have as a single person. It is two sinners living together. Before marriage, I struggled to live with one sinner, myself. Marriage where two sinners are living together doesn't make it any easier. Happy Valentine's Day. Put that on a card, Hallmark. But really, marriage is two people who sinfully have a deeper love for self than they do for anyone else. It is two people who want their own little universe with them at the center but there are such benefits and blessings of marriage too that make these struggles really fade into the background. The blessings of marriage are innumerable, so I will only mention a few, but what about the awareness of sin that is provided in a spouse who, spouse who loves the Lord? This could be viewed as a negative, but viewing it in light of eternity, it's not a negative. Oh, how often... <laughs> My marriage has displayed my pride. How often my wife has displayed such humility to confront me in my self-worship. Another gift of marriage is unity. Unity that silences loneliness. Unity that provides intimacy, intimacy that we discussed the first week we were in 1 Corinthians 7. In the first seven verses of this chapter, Marriage is also a gift because we get to image the gospel. We can look like Christ and the church. There is such hope in that statement because that's exactly what God created marriage to be. That's exactly how he has designed marriage. And we can look to Christ as our example. Awareness of sin, unity, a solution to loneliness, an answer to temptation, and a picture of the gospel. Marriage is a gift when we are prepared for eternity. But singleness is also a gift. Again, the examples are innumerable, but here are a few. The one that jumps to the forefront of my mind is the singular commitment to the Lord. Yes, there are other distractions with work, finances, and various other commitments in life, but your relationship with Christ is in no way distracted by the pressures that often accompany marriage. It is not that all or even Many of the single people I meet will have a singular focus and attention on the Lord. That's not the point. It's not the point that Paul is making. But singleness does provide one less potential distraction in preparing for eternity. If marriage is this relationship that's supposed to be the most intimate on this earth, then of course singleness allows for more intimacy with Christ. Another gift is using time to serve others and to serve your local church. Without a spouse or a family that you are already called to serve, you're able to devote time and energy to serving others well. The last gift of singleness I'll mention for the sake of time is the gift of contentment. We try to find contentment in anything other than Christ when nothing else will actually satisfy us. Singleness is such an opportunity to find your contentment in Christ because a spouse cannot and will not ever satisfy your deepest need. Christ only can. Verse 29 through 31 reminds me again of the shortness of time until Christ returns and the brevity of life. Look at these verses 29 through 31. Paul says, This is what I mean, brothers. The appointed time has grown very short. From now on, let those who have wives live as though they had none, and those who mourn as those who were, as, those, as though they were not mourning, and those who rejoice as though they were not rejoicing, and those who buy as though they had no goods, and those who deal with the world as though they had no dealings with it. For the present form of this world is passing away. Be attentive, believer. Be prepared. Live even with a spouse, even in singleness, like your devotion is to Christ live a non-preoccupied life. Those who have lost loved ones, which we'll get to at the end of the verses as well, the days may seem long, but it is only a moment. That's what Paul says. In light of eternity, this is only a moment. This world is fading away. Those who rejoice in this life are rejoicing in what will be left behind. Those who store up are storing up uselessly because it's going away. We need to stop living like this life is eternity. How fooled are we if we say this isn't eternity and live like this is it? Like this is the ultimate? Like this is the end? No, we steward everything. This is our role stewards, faithfully manning what God has entrusted to us for a short time. I think about my marriage, my wife, my kids, and this stewardship and this responsibility is huge. It weighs on me. That's one thing that comes with marriage. So, believer, single, married, be prepared. This sin filled, sin saturated, sin stained world that we so often cling to will be gone. It will no longer be in that sin stained form. It will be made new. So be prepared. Our second command for staying undivided is in verses 32 through 35. And it's be devoted. Be devoted. Not to lay any restraint upon you, but to promote good order and to secure your undivided devotion to the Lord. Worry oftentimes distracts us, doesn't it? We are not in control. Are our concerns resting in the sovereignty of God? What does Paul say? Paul says, put away the distractions of worry and anxiety. When our focus is of this is, is this world, this life, our anxieties are just gonna pile up. When our focus is eternity, our anxieties take on a new perspective. Be devoted to eternal things, like godliness, the bride of Christ, displaying the gospel in your marriage and in your singleness. Paul describes what utmost devotion can look like in the life of the single person. He can focus on worship solely. Again, there are still obstacles and distractions. There are still hindrances. But as as a husband, I should be concerned with loving my bride as an act of worship. But it is also one less concern for the single person that they can devote to their own walk and their own worship. Yes, it is good. It is good for the married man to be concerned about his wife. But it would be foolish for us to say that there is no temptation to let that love overshadow our love for God. Is that not a temptation in marriage? I mean, my spouse is physically here beside me to love, to care for. God, whether he is he, he, not, even though he is not times, I feel so distant from him. What Paul is saying in these verses is best described by an example given by Pastor Mark Dever. He says Paul is simply making the obvious statement that some things are easier to deal with in life without a spouse or kids. He says if someone were to shout fire in this sanctuary right now, it is easier for you to just rush yourself out... Than it is for you to have to be concerned about a wife and definitely kids. It's like hurting cats. This is what Paul is saying. It's that simple. There are some things that are easier in singleness. Love for a spouse or kids never ad- overshadows the first and the greatest command to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. It never overshadows that command. The second greatest command to love others as yourself finds its meaning in the first greatest command. Warren Weir'sby says, marriage must be built on something sturdier than good looks, money, romantic excitement, and social acceptance. You know why? Because it must be built on devotion to Christ. That's what it must be built on. This gift of marriage is something that will occupy time, energy, emotion, love. And so the potential to misuse it is great. Divided interest, divided devotion is not what God is after. Biblical marriage loves God in order to love your spouse better. He wants you to be fully his. Which that means he wants your marriage to be fully his. Holiness, set-apartness should be the aim of the single person as well as the married. Like Lottie Moon, the betrothed, the virgin, sets herself fully apart for the Lord. Truly, this should be the case in every scenario. Setting apart body and spirit for the Lord. This is not promoting what we talked about way four weeks ago, asceticism or celibacy. It's not talking about that. Paul is not saying that. Yes, husband and wife give them themselves, their bodies, their spirits to one another in marriage, as, as Paul proclaimed in the first six verses of this chapter. But even in this representation, this is a representation of Christ and the church. It is all setting apart in how we use our bodies and our spirits for him. How easily we, it can become that we use our marriages and forget this aim and become distracted with lesser devotion. We are so prone to forgetting the heart of marriage. And guess what? We're so prone to forget the heart of singleness. We're so prone to not see what Lottie Moon saw as a singular devotion to Christ. In verse 35, we read this is for our benefit, our growth. These are principles for us to be devoted to. Both marriage and singleness are gifts that when compared, both stand as examples of being fully devoted to the Lord. One, yes, has a greater possibility of distraction, but when upheld properly for the glory of God, the aim is devotion to Him. One commentator says, both spouses and children can influence Christians to become reluctant to obey Jesus in such areas as sacrificial financial giving and keeping oneself free from worldly pursuits. But they can also greatly enhance one's personal life, strengthening one's ability to minister to families and offering innumerable opportunities for discipleship right within one's own family. So the message is... First, be prepared. Second, be devoted. Whether married or single, be prepared, be devoted. Lastly, be pure. Be pure. We see this command in verses 36 through 40. Let me read those again. Verse 36. If anyone thinks that he is not behaving properly toward his betrothed, if his passions are strong, and it has to be, let him do as he wishes. Let them marry. It is no sin. But whoever is firmly established in his heart, being under no necessity, but having his desire under control, and has determined this in his heart to keep her as his betrothed, he will do well. So then he who marries his betrothed does well, and he who refrains from marriage will do even better. A wife is bound to her husband as long as he lives, but if her husband dies, she is free to be married to whom she wishes only in the Lord. Yet in my judgment, she is happier if she remains as she is. And I think that I too have the Spirit of God. Now, these verses have been debated as far as interpretation over the years. Many interpret verses 36 through 38 as a father giving away of his virgin daughter to be married after she had previously made a commitment to celibacy. Others say these verses are talking about simply a man and his fiancée. Verse 36 in the Greek, when it gets to this phrase about this man and his betrothed, it simply says, parthenon altu, or his virgin. Regardless of the meaning, it it does not change the thrust of the text to us. It doesn't change the meaning uh, overall. The command is to be pure. Again, Paul goes over something that he did way back in verse 2. Look back at, at, at 1 Corinthians 7, 2, where he talks about if your if longing is strong, if the temptation is there, if your passion for one another is too great, ha- God has provided a real God-honoring outlet in marriage. Be pure. Do not sin. You can still serve the Lord and be devoted to Him through marriage. Temptation will come. Temptation in itself is not sinful. Giving into it is sinful. Make your passion for your betrothed and your passion for God known in marriage. But if you do not have this temptation, if you have your temptation under control, if you know your desire is to remain single, you are better in that state. That's what Paul says. It is better for you to remain single. It would be better without temptation, maintaining all purity, to fully devote yourself in singleness to the Lord. Hasn't that been what he's built up since verse 25? Purity to the Lord is what matters, whether tempted or not. When temptation does come, because it will remain pure. So marriage helps with temptation, but also oftentimes comes with baggage, because as, as I'm going to say again, two sinners are unifying together to become one. And sometimes that, that coming together feels less like sugar in your sweet tea that comes together and makes this wonderful thing to enjoy. And sometimes it feels more like oil and water. Marriage is amongst God's greatest gifts to me, but being a creature prone to distraction, prone to impurity, I am so prone to misuse the gift of marriage. We all are, but the message from Paul is remain pure in our commitment to the Lord in order to remain pure in our marriages and our singleness. The single one doesn't have the same struggles as the married person, but being pure is the command in both places. And Paul ends by displaying another struggle of marriage, losing a loved one, And he ends by displaying the purity and the unity of marriage. In verse 39, it is till death do us part. Marriage is lifelong. It is not eternal. Death continues to make us uncomfortable, doesn't it? Death wouldn't be so hard if loved ones were not left behind, missing so badly the unity we once had. But believe it or not, The Spirit through Paul has already told us how to handle this, how to handle death in the preceding verses. He's already told us. We are devoted to Christ. Our response must be purity of worship. Our response, in even in the the darkest of scenarios, losing a spouse should be, oh God, you are God. In the Lord, in worship, that should be our response. And he also says some, one other response should be in the Lord. He says if you remarry, you, you can be remarried, but it's in the Lord. You can serve him. You can be devoted to him through marrying another believer if this is your call. There's the stipulation if this is your call. But if there is no temptation, as Paul has already said in preceding verses, if there is no temptation, you will be better. You will be happier to display your devotion solely to the Lord because the days are short. You see how that argument builds throughout the entire course of the passage? Be prepared, be devoted, be pure. He says, through your calling to singleness, display your purity of worship. Believer, be prepared. Whether married or single, prepare for eternity. Steward your marriage or your singleness in light of the kingdom of heaven. Unbeliever, Christ is coming back. This life is but a moment. Where will you spend eternity? Believer, be devoted. Love God in order to love those made in his image. Devote to him in order to devote to your spouse spouse and single person to others. Unbeliever, devoting yourself to the fading pleasures of this world leads nowhere. In the end, you will have devoted yourself to so many things and will end up with nothing. Nothing believer be pure display your purity in whatever gift god has given you whether singleness or marriage display purity of worship unbeliever god demands perfect purity and i have failed everyone in this room everyone in this world has failed But Jesus bore my impurity on the cross. The spotless lamb Jesus became my stain so that I can be seen as pure before holy God. May we never forget our future, our hope, our purity is found nowhere else. Let me pray. Father, what a reminder.